Welcome to the Hurricane Center podcast, produced by the Storm Science Network and part of the National Tropical Weather Conference. This podcast is made possible by USAA, the South Padre Island Convention and Tourist Bureau, and Plylock's Hurricane Clips. Uh, as Alex and Tim pointed out, we're going to have a little different topic today. How does a station prepare? Everyone has to prepare for a hurricane, and there's different nuances uh, depending on what your business is. And today we have with us uh, uh, Jenna Huff, who is the news director of WANE 15 in Fort Wayne, Indiana. But prior to being in Indiana, she spent a lot of time in the in the southern part of the country and has dealt with many landfalling tropical storms and hurricanes in her role as management in a station. Uh, Jeff Houston is uh, news director at uh, ABC 3340 in Birmingham. Uh, many of you know that from uh, uh, those of us that follow uh, the uh, 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 interesting work done by uh, his weather guy, James Spann. And uh, he also has had uh, coastal opportunities in places like Norfolk and Jacksonville uh, that deal with the tropical events also. So uh, I'm going to toss it over to Jenna, who will start off our discussion today on how the stations prepare for severe weather. So uh, as introduced, I spent a lot of time in Georgia. The last 10 years of my career actually have been in, in Georgia where we saw a lot of activity. This is actually a plan that I put together or that we, our team, put together there uh, years ago and one that was refreshed many, many times over um, and one that I actually use here now that I'm in northeast Indiana. Uh, we use it for snow coverage. So very versatile in planning. Uh, you can use it for a multitude of things, but kind of where we started was the expectation of, you know, how are we going to roll out clean and concise coverage uh, in a very chaotic situation? And so it started with, you know, how will you receive your information? Uh, from the supervisors kind of on all systems go as we're tracking the storm and anticipating the storm uh, who's on which team what are your job duties uh, are we good with our media IDs you know do we have enough gas in the cars are, are is the insurance up to date all things of that nature and then contact lists and social media obviously fall into play with those plans as well um, but in the event of a great emergency we set up a phone chain and basically said you know, if if we get to that point in time, uh, you will hear directly from me and we'll be in all systems go. We'll be a code red, if you will. Um, and leading up to those days, we, we kind of put people on uh, code orange, you know, on a standby. Hey, your weekend plans might get ruined. Plan accordingly now. So all the team had to be really flexible. And then obviously, if I pulled that code red trigger, I alerted my management above me um, at the corporate level and my general manager, obviously, as well. Uh, and then when we went from that alert, that code red message that went out to the team, um, the whole plan kind of engages after that. Uh, walking through this slide here, it just says, you know, teams will be led by department heads. So everybody in the station had a job. You may have been in sales uh previously, but now you're a team leader of user-generated content. Um, department heads will give you a job on said team, and your shifts would continue 13 on and 11 off. So we basically worked in two sets of 
uh, in two teams so we could rotate people out to try and shift out of burnout. And obviously for safety's concern too, people need to sleep, they need to eat, they need to check on their families, they need to do all of these things as well while working in uh, at the local station. Uh, moving on from there, essentially, we just broke out the teams by person. You know, what are your job responsibilities specifically? You know, here, here's me, coverage planning, new staff and sales. These are our engineers here. They're responsible for on the air, over the air. Um, and we broke every single person out, every single department out within the station. And here are a little bit more details to that. So our HR uh wing, if you will, of the station, their responsibilities were to contact the staff families, you know, let the families of our staffers know that they're okay, that they're taken care of, maybe they were setting up meals or hotel rooms, often we would have, um, team members from our corporate structure fly in to help us with coverage since we were a really small market and those hotel rooms and meal sharing things had to get set up um but everybody needed to know that essentially their family members were safe since we were being inundated with with coverage day after day um, we even went as far to think about, you know, pets. We had a lot of young staffers, young journalists on our team who had dogs or cats. And if they're not going to be home for hours on end or days on end, what are we going to do about that? How can we help them? How can we alleviate that situation for a little while? Um, editorial production, obviously we had to have an active eye on all the video coming in. Our general manager oversaw a lot of this where, you know, viewing video what do we want to show what do we want to stand for in this huge impact to our community does it fit our brand do we have a good look of what we're putting over the air um since video was just flooding in you know do do we need to run everything uh we should still keep a critical eye on things like that that were coming in this is an example of one of the team members. Obviously, we listed them out, or one of the teams, myself, and then anchors, reporters, photographers, producers. Uh, we labeled them Team A, Team B, Team C. We had some other uh, teams from different structures, different stations that came in and helped out, um, and then just gave them a couple of different reminders. But this way, it was easier to assign and say, hey, Team A, you're going X. Team B, you're at Y. And then you knew the ex expectation and the execution that you were um, covering out for everybody else. This is Team B um, with the shifts and, and their assignments, so you know who you were swapping in and out for. Uh, our sales team, you know, even, like I said before, they had a responsibility in this mass time. Often they weren't reporting to the station, but they did live in different parts of the market. So we turned them into mobile journalists. You know, they all had phones. Could they shoot weather video out in the field? Could they send that in? Could they help out with coverage, talk to local resources in their counties, in their communities safely, um, which added more boots on the ground in that coverage uh, of the storm or the aftermath? Um, just a, a couple of reminders we added in there basically for uh, coverage perspective, you know, going deeper. We, we know we'll get the who, what, when, where, and why, but 
do we get the how? How does that set us apart? We would hold a debriefing meeting um, at shift change and kind of hold our editorial meeting then. Of what do we have uh, from this first group? What do we need to follow up on in this second group? Um, and what are we missing? Those kind of conversations. Social media was big. We pushed a lot of different resources there on how to use Facebook. Um, we had different resources as well with like Banjo or Google Person Finder, you know, things that needed to be set up in advance. So when you hit your time of need, you could kind of just engage these platforms and be ready to utilize them to your advantage. And the last part of our plan was just a big breakdown basically of those teams again and to remind people to find a partner. Um, you know, if you need to get into work and you can't get out of your driveway, you know, have somebody set up that can get you there or meet you at a location and, and be prepared for that and have those conversations in advance. So that way, when we pull the trigger, you know, those that we rely on and those that have a, a part in the plan are there to execute it. But that was pretty much a, a wrap. And like I say, you know, you can reuse that plan for a multitude of things, whether it's different weather coverage or snow coverage. We've used it for breaking news, big breaking news stories. So it really is very versatile once you get it completed and, and kind of set up and done with. Jenna, thank you. Um, she and I have uh, some very similar plans. We used to work for the same company. And one of the things that we heard a lot because we shared a group news director for a while was if it's not written down, it's not a plan. And so we have a binder at the assignment desk it's called the Breaking News Plan. And the Breaking News Plan covers a multitude of major events, so to speak. And only six pages of it involve weather. But um, and I'm going to share that with you. I would, normally wouldn't show this, but I thought I would today. So let me see if I can pull this up. Mine's not as fancy as Jenna's, which is pretty normal for us. Uh, there are six pages here, and what we've done for this um, is every year this is updated. Uh, anything that needs changing, you know, new equipment, new changes to this, that, and the other, we'll update it once a year. I just updated it when I was working on it a couple of weeks ago. Um, and what we do is this is part of the plan for depending on the weather. We are much more tornado prone here, as you're probably well aware of. Um, but we're only 280 miles as the crow flies from the Gulf Coast. So uh, Zeta came through here in October. It was still a hurricane in the viewing area. Ivan came through here in 2004 and, and really messed things up. Uh, Claudette, a tropical system a couple of weeks ago, uh, we had parts in uh, Tuscaloosa, had about a foot of rain. We had about eight inches here in Birmingham proper. So uh, we, we get a lot of... Um, extreme weather the good thing is we don't get a lot of snow but this can be used for that as well and so what this does is it takes everybody through everything when we go into a storm mode what do we do during a newscast when do we interrupt programming you know it's hourly updates when do we start those what do we do online and social if promotions is involved this is a station-wide thing like jenna was talking about everybody uh, knows that this makes or breaks a station you have to be there um, so everybody's involved uh, you know, it's the notification, you know, when is somebody going to tell somebody that something's going on? Because as much as we like to think, not everybody is as involved in the weather as we like to think they are. And sometimes when you have a viewing area that's very large, 
Uh, we go from the Mississippi state line all the way to the Georgia state line. So uh, across uh, central Alabama. So you can have something happening two hours away from here and not necessarily, you know, know it off the top of your head. So, you know, who's going to tell someone? And that's an important thing is to have the meteorologist able to quickly let everyone know that, hey, we've got a situation we need to be watching. We've got some severe thunderstorms, you know, but they're two and a half hours away from the building. Um, so production, what are they going to do? And then the pre-severe weather threat. Um, you know, that's the important part of this is the plan that you have for this. Um, you know, I get, uh, um, I, I'm lucky because I got Span. That's what I tell everybody. Um, he does this thing called the weather, Alabama weather blog. And so during storm season, I don't bother him too much. Um, he'll update on the blog and I know it's serious when he starts bothering me. So we, you know, we've worked together for eight years now, so we have a pretty good flow going. And when he tells me we need to start watching this for next week, then I know I need to pull out the plan and start working. Um, and we get everybody involved at that point, you know, and he and I are in constant communication from that point forward. Um, but then, you know, three and four days out, if it's going to be a tornado event or a snow event, we start involving department heads. What do we need to know? And I've got engineering involved way before that. If it's going to be something where we think we need, you know, let's check the generators and let's do those types of things. Um, and then I'll scroll down rest of this you know you got to remember things like closed captioning because you do not want to get nailed for not having your closed captioning whatever system it is that you use um you know what kind of opens do we use during a newscast if we're in long-form coverage and we're coming up to a regular newscast for you know identification purposes you have to identify that newscast but we've come up with a different system on how to do that you know, a lot of places will stop and roll their open. We throw a banner up that identifies the newscast, so it's a legal ID. And then um, the storm alert crawls, these are the fun ones. When do they go in? When do they come out? Because, you know, you're going to cover that football game. You're going to cover that golf. You know, God forbid you've got the bug that's on top of the hole as it goes in for the winning shot or something along those lines. But at the end of the day, we all know the most important thing is to make sure that the viewers are safe and aware and that's what we're here for. But this, this, I mean, it details out every single thing, um, you know, uh, all the way down to which ones do we just do every half hour because they're not as serious. And, you know, what do we do with those things like a freeze warning or a heat advisory? You know, do we put them in? Do we not put them in? And we take those out on case-by-case basis. Um, and so the other thing that's the most important part of this plan, and it's not written in here, but I want to show... Give me a second. I didn't do a fancy thing like Jenna did. I did something a little different. There we go. This is the most important thing, and it is safety first. Safety first. Safety first. Safety first. You take nothing else out of this today. Please understand that it is safety first. That is that is the top discussion I have with every single crew. Um, you know, I'm responsible for them. I don't want to have to call their families and tell them there's been an accident or that they've been injured in some form. We train our crews. Uh, we have a lot of new people, so they will be doing this again soon. Um, our part-time meteorologist is Brian Peters, who used to be the National Weather Service coordinator here in Birmingham. 
Uh, he used to go out and uh, would uh, decide if it was an EF2 or an EF3 storm or whatnot. And we're thankful to have him on our team. <clears throat> he trains our crews on storm spotting. Uh, so they can have a, some knowledge, especially we have about three primary crews usually that are very in front of storms. Um, and then you have to track your crews. Uh, we have GPS tracking on all of our vehicles. And so we have a map so we can see where they are. And we've integrated that into our radar so we can pull them up on television when we're talking to them and see where they are. Um, and so it's just right there on the map. And so uh, in March, <clears throat> excuse me, in March, uh, we had a crew that was directly in the path of the tornado. And, you know, we immediately we started getting text and phone calls about get them out of the way, get them out of the way. And we had to explain to viewers that the car was empty, that they'd left the iPhone hanging there. Uh, for the live picture and they were in a shelter. Um, and so they were, they did that on their own because they knew where they were and they were aware of their surroundings. Uh, you have to pull them back sometimes. <clears throat> That's the important thing for managers to understand or, or anyone who is um, putting together this plan. Someone has to be able to pull them back. Uh, when Zeta came through here, it was two o'clock in the morning. And if you've ever been to Birmingham, we live in a forest full of hills and curves. And so I pulled the crews out. I said, we're not going to do this in the middle of the night <clears throat> because you're going to go around the corner and there's going to be a tree down and you're going to run into it and we're just not going to run this risk. What are we going to get in the dark that we can't get at first light? It's a hard competitive decision to make sometimes because you see other people doing it, but the safety of these crews are the utmost important thing. Um, and a lot of that has to do with daylight and dark. If it's daylight and we're having storms, we'll put them in front of the storms because they have some visual way to see. If it is dark, most likely we'll be behind the storm because I don't want them. In, I don't want them uh, getting hit by a tornado. Most of our tornadoes here happen in the dark. They're usually rain wrapped, and you can't see them until it's on top of you. So it's just it makes no sense to try to be in front of them when you're not going to get a picture of it anyway. Um, but if you take, again, like I said, if you take nothing from what I say, except this right here, it is safety first. It is safety first. It is safety first. So. Yeah. All right. Great job, Jeff and, and Jenna. Terrific information. And, uh, I've got a lot of questions. I've got a bunch. I know Bill does too, and watching for questions to come in online. So, uh, good stuff. Good stuff. We appreciate that. And I think what comes first, Safety. <laughs> so, excellent point. Uh, before we get on to the questions, we want to again uh, thank our sponsors, South Padre Island Convention and Visitors Bureau. Beach lovers and fishermen know it, and sandcastle builders, adventure seekers know it. South Padre Island is so fun with its sparkling beaches and inviting activities. South Padre Island, it's so fun. It's so padre. Sopadre.com is the website to go to if you want more information about the hosts for the National Tropical Weather Conference. We've been there from the beginning. Look forward to being there again in April of 2022. Also, Black Magic Design. They've got all kinds of these little mini switchers, the ATM mini line of live production switchers that you can use to create these great broadcast quality programs, multi-camera productions. You can do all of this and stream them live. All you have to do is connect your ATEM mini to your video sources and go live with up to eight sources at a time. The ATEM mini line works with any streaming software. And with the ATEM Mini Pro and Extreme Cam, you can uh, stream direct to social media. For more information, it's blackmagicdesign.com. All right, questions. Uh, I'm, I'm going to start with one that you've got so many people, both of you, you know, whoever wants to answer this first can. Um, 
in your newsroom, do you use you know, WhatsApp or some other app so that everybody's communicating with everybody at all times so that you can know where everybody is so that John in the field on one end of the market is talking to someone on the other end and they're able to communicate with each other so you know where you are and what you're doing? Uh, we use Slack here. Um, uh, span. We have a, um, a, a, we call it Span Channel on Slack. It's, uh, uh, it's what our weather watchers use on a daily basis, but we have a severe weather tab. Um, and it was actually new for us this year. Uh, he and I were talking about it, and I said, why don't we put our crews in there with them? And so it has worked out phenomenally well. Because now I can, I would send him a message, and sometimes he wouldn't see it. But if I throw it into the Slack channel, he knows it immediately. So the crew that was in harm's way, I was able to tell him immediately there in a shelter. And, I mean, he put it out on television just like that. So we found Slack to be very good we were different. Yeah, so we, uh, I have a lot more uh, smaller market uh, experience. Jeff's in a really big market. And so resources are usually a little tighter when you get smaller. Um, so we delegate that out and we do like point people um, of, you know, you're in the newsroom, whether that's a manager, you're in the newsroom and you're responsible for communicating with that team. There's a direct line of communication. So not everybody in the newsroom is calling that team. You know, it's just that one person and they report back to to the the head that's kind of or the, the master puppeteer, right? Um, so each person is delegated out to different teams, and that cut down on a lot of the outside noise. And, and we really encouraged our team members, you know, reach out to, to your direct line of communication, and that way the lines won't get crossed and nobody's confused. Um, and that's often hard to manage, but for the most part, they did really well. Yeah, I ask because, you know, in our newsroom, you know, in South Texas, we had, before Hurricane Hannah, we had a small group of weather people on a WhatsApp group, and there were the eight weather people, our eight meteorologists, but as the hurricane came in, we started expanding to reporters, and then to photographers, and then to managers, and next thing you know, the whole newsroom's on it, so we had to create a new one just for weather people, <laughs> but but the whole newsroom is there, and I'm watching it this morning, and they're, they're all active because Donald Trump is in town, um, but it's, it's a great way of communicating with, with each other, and it's worked out well, um, but I like the idea of point people on each thing as well. Um, has, has the advent of being able to do Facebook Live um, changed the approach to on-air coverage? Do you cut in as much for severe weather as you did before Facebook Live, where, where now you can be live all day long on Facebook and it doesn't matter, and then you cut in when, it, when the bulletin comes out? Does it change anything? Not, not really. Um, it, it, it helps. Um, we get a lot of people who uh, know that they can go to Facebook Live when they're hiding in their closet or their shelter or whatnot. Um, but in terms of, do we, you know, and we do do some specific things, especially leading up uh, to an event that we know is coming um, on Facebook Live, usually around 530 in the afternoon. Um, you know, right after the five o'clock news here, we go to national central time zone. And then Span will do some weather hits, and we'll do them usually at noon, too, as well with our morning meteorologists, so they can give people updates as stuff is coming in. But as far as just cutting in on Facebook Live, if we need to be on television, uh, we are very blessed here at this TV station. They understand and they know um, that we need to do that sometimes, and they're just, they leave it up to us. So go when we need to. Yeah, I think social media has added... Uh, it's helpful, but it's also added 
the need for more bodies, you know, because now you have to be on both. Um, and some people might not have those systems in place or the software or the technology that puts their program feed to Facebook Live. You know, and, and working for different companies, people have different strategies, too. Uh, obviously, the, the main strategy is getting the information out to the viewing public in any way that we can. We do a lot more streaming on our website website here um, than I did at my last uh, station. So uh, we would probably do more updates on Facebook Live where we would stream directly to the website and our traction reaches our audience here uh, better, if that makes sense. We're, we're stronger on streaming on our website than we are on our Facebook Live coverage. You can't ignore it, that's for sure, but it, it definitely takes a little bit more staffing, a little bit more thought process and an addition to the plan you know now you have these on-air coverages that you can't ignore so who who's going to be doing this can you do them both at the same time or do you have to split them up good good i've got a lot more questions but bill let me toss it over to you see if you've got a couple you want to ask and then come back over here i've got a few more here written down just throw an observation on that last topic that's that was the almost the exact same kind of conversations uh, when I was still working, we had at the weather service and it's only gotten harder. It's uh, okay. We don't have anything we can drop. We're not going to get new staff, but we have to take care of, of this emerging technology known as social media. Uh, if we're going to do our job the best we can, it's a challenge. I guess everybody faces. Uh, one of the questions I had was, uh, uh, especially when it comes to a, a hurricane or like a major tornado outbreak, uh, uh, a lot of adrenaline as the event unfolds, then the event ends, but you guys still have to cover the aftermath. And the aftermath lasts days or weeks. How do you, how do you, uh, do you have a strategy for, for pacing your employees so you, you don't burn them out too quickly in the, in the aftermath of these events? Uh, <laughs> um, so I'll go first. Uh, I think that's what helps with our 13 on 11 off you know, the two teams, knowing that you still have a long shift, it's longer than eight hours, it's going to be a beast, you know, but keeping that going for a couple of days, even after the event, um, knowing that they get that stint of 11 hours where they know they can sleep, they know they can decompress, they know that they can turn off, if, if you will. Um, we tried to still honor off days if we could you know but you're right the the after event sometimes lasts longer and i can't remember if it was with michael or with irma i think it was actually with irma when it came through uh our market in macon they hadn't had a big, big event like that in a very long time and so all of the debris from the trees and such um came down and so when michael came through years later we didn't see the aftermath as badly as we did with irma because irma cleared the way for it you know but there were weeks that we were without power we were uh, my house specifically i mean five days i didn't have power um my neighborhood you know i'm sure there were people that went longer than that and so the team of reinforcing that uh you know, we've got to do this. I think you can break down into kind of smaller teams too with that 
uh, follow-up coverage, you know, you know you're going to be doing the follow-ups. You know you're going to be checking on power. You know you're going to be telling the people stories that are affected. Um, but do you need all 12 people that day? And you've got to kind of keep that in mind and be flexible with the plan, too. You know, anything can change at the drop of a dime. But in those situations, a lot of user-generated content comes forward. So you can fill fill your newscast, fill your social media feeds with a lot more stories to tell easier than, you know, having a full-on Code Red team after the event. Um, so I think you got to kind of take it as it comes. But burnout is a real thing. And... And I don't know that there's any way you can't, that you can get around that. You know, it's it's tough and you kind of have to mentally prep your team. My staff tended to be younger than Jeff's too. So I think you just mentally prep them. And even in the job interviewing process, Jeff mm-hmm. told me the other day, I stole this from him actually. Um, he says, you know, we don't sell a career path. We sell a lifestyle because when you get into news and or weather, you know, you have to prep yourself for this. You have to know what you're getting into because it's not for everybody. Great point. Uh, Jeff, how about uh, Birmingham? Yeah, you know, uh, most of our stuff, it always sounds bad when I say this, but you know, when you have a tornado go through, it's a relatively small sliver of of, of your viewing area that was affected. Um, and so, uh, there's a lot of coverage for something like that, um, but it's not like the whole market. Um, even when we have a, um, you know, it depends on the way that the storm goes. If we most of the storms come in and turn right and and scrape us. They rarely do they just come in like Ivan did and came straight over the top of us and wiped out the whole viewing. Um, I wasn't here in 2004, but, um, you know, I've heard the stories about how the coverage went for that one. Um, but for us, you know, as an event starts to wind down, usually what ends up happening is I'm sitting at the desk, um, at the assignment desk with whoever's working there, and we start talking about, okay, so what do we need for the morning show? What do we need tomorrow morning? Who needs to come in early? Who do we send home now? When can we start dismissing? Um, and, and you try to you try to do it as best you can. And you try to you know you have the staff that you sent home because you know you're going to need them at seven o'clock tomorrow morning. And you sent them home you know during the event because you knew this was going to be one of those things. And so you have to sort of look ahead at how you can pace yourself. And it's really about pacing yourself. And you know viewers get upset because you're immediately not showing their neighborhood or you're not showing their county. Um, and so we spend days and days and days going out, and we try to really go and cover. We learned this in Michael um, because we, w- we were actually on the air for Michael here because there's such high interest in the Gulf Coast, and we're not that far away. Um, so as it was coming in, we, we went on the air about two that afternoon and, and took it all the way through um, as, it, as it came into the coast. And I had crews in places, you know, in those areas and we've gone back multiple times since then because, you know, it was almost a forgotten storm. Everybody talks about how it is a forgotten storm. And, you know, James and I have talked about how people just want to see their communities covered. So you have to prepare yourself that you're going to be covering this topic for, you know, three or four weeks and then going back again and again and again. Yeah, forgotten storms. The, the storm is memorable until the very next storm and then it's forgotten. Yep. <laughs> Uh, Tim, you got any from the viewers? 
Um, I've got a couple more here. Yeah, one of them, and, and, and uh, Jeff, you mentioned it, the training that you do for your non-meteorologist on storm spotting. Talk about that a little bit because uh, that's really important because the people who are out in the field, you know, you've got your meteorologist all in a building, air-conditioned in big comfy chairs, but, the you know, and, well, James stands up, I know, so do we. But the rest of your crew is out, you know, in the middle of it, and they're the ones that really need to know what they're looking at. Yeah, and, you know, again, most of our stuff is rain-wrapped. Um, even if it's a daylight, typically it's rain wrapped. The one we had, in, the ones we had in March, were unusual for us because we can see them. Um, but it, 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 Brian is a train storm spotter trainer. Hard to say. Um, we actually hold events. Um, we haven't in the last you know, year and a half, but um, we hold storm spotter events where people come out. If you want to invite the viewing public, and we go to this town and we use their city hall or the auditorium or something along those lines and we train the public um and if i have the ability i'll send a crew so they can sit through it there's two levels of it there's the there's the basic and then there's the advanced um and then you know we've had from time to time we'll just take a saturday where brian comes in and the crews come in and we sit through the training so they can you know understand what it is they're, they're looking at without you know without having the background in meteorology that's good and Jenna, you see the same thing with you know the younger crews that you've had. I know you know there's nothing worse than you you're, you're on the air trying to talk about a you know, potential rotation on the radar, and you got a crew out there that has no idea what they're looking at. <laughs> you know that are you know 22 year old right out of college journalist, yeah. uh, and they don't know what they're looking at. You know, and it's, I, it's think, I think we lean very heavily on our Mets in that regard in in the smaller markets you know and we let them talk more about the storm or analyzing photos or pictures or live video you know where we have them maybe we'd throw it up in a double box and and they'd be able to see the actual video on the ground rather than having somebody who doesn't know what they're talking about kind of describe that um though you know we put them in teams of two usually in these scenarios out there where it's more the sights and sounds description rather than the actual uh, weather description of the storm. You know, what are you seeing? What are you hearing? Uh, can you describe it to us? And it's it's the story behind the actual development, you know, of, of the storm itself. So we try to have them stick to that lane um, so they don't step out of bounds. <laughs> And, that, and that's part of the training as well, that, that they don't step out of bounds. That's important. That's important information. So, yeah. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Another question that, that's come up is when to know when you're transitioning from a weather event to a news event, because it's a weather event when the tornado is on the ground and it's a news event when you're cleaning up afterwards. Um, but weather may still be involved. I mean, there's a transition there and knowing when to, to make that transition uh, can, can be a challenge sometimes, I think. I don't know. What's to talk about? It really, it really comes down to a feel. Um, you know, if you've had a day where you've had long track tornadoes or something along those lines, um, and you get into uh, a lull, there's not an active tornado warning or something. Um, James is real good about going. All right, we're gonna we're gonna pause here and let the news department take over for a few minutes, and we're gonna fill you in on the power outages and the damage that's done, and the crews that you've dispatched behind the storm start doing their live shots about what they're seeing and what has happened and talking to people. And then, you know, you can be mid sentence and we'll immediately pop to James because there's another warning. Um, you know, so it, it gets in a weird transition phase there for a while towards the end. 
Um, a lot of times our stuff is over at one or two o'clock in the morning. Um, if it starts in the evening or it goes through the night, um, you know, but if you're at three o'clock in the morning, there's no reason to still stay on at that point and, and wear your staff out because, you know, and you look at the ratings and it's fun to watch. You get to the height of an event and like, you know, 60, six, there's 60 share between all the stations, 70 share between all the stations of people watching. And then as it starts to wane and it gets into the smaller counties and the outlying areas, you can watch the hut levels just plummet people go to bed and a lot of people, you know, there's a couple of meteorologists. I know they'll say this County, you can go to bed, this County, you can go to bed because that's what people want to know. Can I go to bed? <laughs> and This is over and I don't have to worry about this the rest of the night. So you try not to, you try not to just, you know, do it because. Yeah. I think there's those editorial conversations have to be made when you're, doing your plan and you have to involve your chief and all your other Mets and, and what do we feel comfortable with and when will we stay on? And that's kind of to Jeff's day-to-day point coverage or even long-term, you know, when will we cut on? When will we stay on? When will we come down? Um, and make sure that everybody feels comfortable about the same guidelines, but then you got to take it as it comes, you know, and, and just have those active conversations too within the newsroom or within the coverage of, you know, questioning yourself sometimes because you don't want to overhype anything um, for the purpose of over for being on, you know, but uh, do you have something to share? You know, and I think a lot of that comes with the different storms, too. Do you have damage? Do you have pictures? Do you have video? Um, if you don't have any of that, that probably weighs to your decision of whether to stay on. You know, if the watches and warnings have subsided, then you're probably coming down. Um, it really depends on you know, the, the actual storm itself. And I think you have to be fluid in those situations. I think that we become nightlights, you know, the nightlight station thing where people leave their TV on and they, they, they go to sleep, but they, they can, they wake up to, to James fans voice or they hear James, Oh, better wake up, you know, and they know that that's a sign that they need to wake up and pay attention. And transparency, I think is big in that aspect too um if you if your mets feel like there is going to be another threat that's going to pop up we need to be telling people that while we're on you know hey we're going to wrap up coverage here and on all of our platforms you know on social media or on our website we're going to wrap up here for a little while but there is still that risk at 5 a.m 4 a.m that we might be coming back on so make sure that you're prepared now you know you got to get out in front of that and make sure that you're transparent with what's to come too um if people need to stay tuned you can't just wrap up and prep for round two without warning them that there could be a round two that's good that's good um, that's all the questions i've been this time bill do you have any more over there this has been fascinating i, I really appreciate you all doing this this is great yeah just just uh, an observation during laura when laura went into louisiana took out all the power in the lake charles area the the uh, local stations here in Houston did, a, I thought, an admirable job of covering the weather over there since so much of their response and recovery uh, efforts were emanating from the, the Houston area. Uh, and they really hit on the problem, which was uh, dew points in the low 80s, no power, temperatures going into the 90s with with continuing thunderstorms that uh, uh, was really fatiguing the people doing the response as well as as the people uh, that were the survivors of the storm. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's 
you know, the, the, again, the, the nightlight role that newsrooms play and all these different roles that you play and knowing how to handle that properly is a really significant thing. And y'all sounds like y'all have done it really well. I know we've seen, we've seen, we watched James when he's on, you know, we watched his continuous coverage and, and, uh, Jen and I'm going to start watching Fort Wayne. That's the home area for me. So, uh, and see what's going on over there. In fact, I'll be driving through there next week. Uh, but, uh, we appreciate y'all. Thank you so much. Great presentation. Any any final thoughts, any last words you want to leave us with? We'll start with Jeff. Anything you want to leave us with today? Besides safety first? Safety first. Um, yeah, I guess that may have done myself in with that one today. Um, no, thank you guys. Uh, we appreciate it. I know I do. Um, these conversations don't happen enough, I don't think, in the industry as a whole. So I appreciate that. I know a lot of the groups do them. We just had a presentation on it a couple of weeks ago about making sure your plans were up to date. But it really is about making sure that you pull it out, dust it off, and, and, and update it for every scenario. Because, as Jenna said, this can be used for any type of situation that may come along. So, except snow. Here in Alabama, when it snows, all bets are off. So. <laughs> Yeah, I think for me is I am a planner, and so whether it's weather or anything else, I'll use my calendar to set reminders, and I usually set the end of the year when we get a little bit of a lull in the news department for some time of just setting reminders throughout the next year to say, hey, you know, update severe weather plan at this stage in the game before severe weather season hits us, you know, update the snow plan before the snow hits us because in news you get lost in your day to day and some stories go longer or bigger or whatever. And then it seems like the whole year has just rolled through. Um, And so without those reminders, you know, it's really hard to stay on top of everything that we've got because we've got so, so much. So set a reminder would be after safety first, I think. But thanks for having us. It was great. Yeah. Good takeaways, guys. We appreciate it. Um, again, a great show today. Thank you so much for being part of NTWC Live, a production of the National Tropical Weather Conference. We appreciate it. Um, before we get to the sponsors, Bill, I'm not going to be here next week, but you and Neil Frank are going to be doing a presentation. Tell them, tell us what you're going to be talking about next week. All right. First, I heard about Neil being on the show with us, but uh, maybe uh, <laughs> if you're lucky. Uh, yeah, I'll be. Uh, uh, one of the uh, consulting things I've been doing over the last uh, eight or nine years has been uh, with Texas A&M Galveston, and part of what they're working on is uh, is the science behind uh, uh, protection against storm surge in the aftermath of Hurricane Ike, and the project got the uh, moniker, the Ike Dike, in there, but it's now a formal project within the Corps of Engineers process, so I'll be updating people on that. And I bet Neil talks about what his experience was uh, out on the Bolivar right after the big one hit there. Terrific. I think it's going to be great. I'm going to be watching from my car wherever I am in the country next week at that time. So thank you, Bill. We appreciate that. Um, I want to thank our sponsors once again, USAA. They've been part of our programs from almost the very beginning, and we appreciate all that they do for the National Tropical Weather Conference and the Storm Science Network, our parent company. I also want to thank uh, Plylot. Plylot's hurricane clips. Again, they look just like this. You just put them on your plywood. Your window's probably a little bigger than this one is. But you put it on the plywood, slide it in, and the hurricane's over. You just grab these and pull them right back out then you're good to go. Also, the South Padre Island Convention and Visitors Bureau, the home of the National Tropical Weather Conference. Can't wait to see all of you guys, you know, Jenna, Jeff, Bill, Alex, everybody in person next year at the beautiful Courtyard Marriott on South Padre Island. They just added about 
200 yards of beach out into the Gulf in front of that hotel. So you can have a great beach to relax on. Uh, really pretty cool thing. And beach renourishment they did. So it's really special. Um, we used to have about 10 feet of beach. Now we get 200 yards of beach. So it's pretty nice. So we hope to see everybody there next year. Uh, that wraps it up for this week. Thank you, everybody. Um, Bill, we'll see you next week. And I'll be back in a couple of weeks. Thanks for tuning in to NTWC Live. Thanks for joining us on Hurricane Center. Produced by the Storm Science Network and made possible by USAA, South Padre Island Convention and Tourist Bureau, and Plylux Hurricane Clips. You can find other episodes on HurricaneCenterLive.com.